Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from a panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, um, Michelle, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Update on Diffuse Large B-Cell Lymphoma. And today's program is a, we're doing this as a partnership with Lymphoma Foundation of America, and we're delighted to be working with them on today's program. It's a wonderful uh, partner group, and they will be working with us in the future on other lymphoma programs as well. And um, today's program is supported by a grant from Genentech and the Diane Apley Fund. I really want to thank them for their support of the program. Now, we have um, a lot of participants on the call today. I have to say that um, in addition to our partner group, um, we also collaborate with many other cancer organizations and blood cancer organizations. And because of that, and your interest in the program today, we have over 254 participants on the call. So there's a lot of you on the call. And you come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also today have international participants from Brazil, Canada, Germany, Iraq, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And it's a credit to all of you that you're choosing to spend this next hour with us. Now, before I introduce our, for our speakers, I have just a few questions I'd like to ask all of you um, to start. Uh, and, and the reason I want to ask those questions, we want to get a better sense of our planning for these programs. Are we on target with getting you the information you need? So um, it'll just take just about probably two minutes to go through these questions. So I'm going to start with the first question. On a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. Question is, I understand the current standard of care for diffuse large B cell lymphoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the treatment options for resistant disease in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand tips for managing the side effects and discomfort of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And just two questions now left. Um, the next question is, I know emerging treatment approaches for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand the importance of clinical trials for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and, and, and four the, I'm sorry, and five the lowest rating. Okay. Well, thank you. I really, really want to thank you for participating in, this, uh, in these questions. It really helps us um, in planning future programs. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Sarah Rutherford. And Dr. Rutherford is the John P. Leonard M.D. Gortzman Family Research Scholar in Lymphoma, Assistant Professor of Medicine while Cornell Medical College, Cornell University. And Dr. Rutherford will be addressing an overview of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, including staging and grading in the context of COVID-19, current standard of care, and treatment options for resistant disease. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rutherford. Thank you so much, Carolyn, and welcome to our participants. I'm happy to, to be a part of this today. I will try to go over um, a clear um, introduction to diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and uh, go through the items that 
Carolyn, Dr. Messner mentioned, and I look forward to the question and answer session at the end um, where you all have the opportunity to ask all of us questions to clarify in order to make sure that you understood what we presented. Diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is the most common type of lymphoma. Lymphoma is a cancer of a type of white blood cell called lymphocyte, and it often causes symptoms including fatigue, fevers, chills, night sweats, decreased appetite, weight loss, or pain, for example. Um, this type of disease tends to grow quickly, and so these symptoms may come upon someone quickly. Um, typically, they regress quickly also once treatment has started because the standard treatment, which I'll go over in just a few minutes, works very well and typically quickly for this disease. Um, the diagnosis is usually made with a lymph node biopsy, and it's very important that, uh, that our pathologists have a, a lot of tissue, so a full lymph node biopsy if possible, to really make sure they have the most accurate diagnosis. There are over 80 different types of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which this falls into the category of. And again, it's the most common type. And um, so we need to make sure that we have the right diagnosis when we start um, our workup. And so that, I would say, is an important aspect to take away from this. Um, we typically do an imaging test of the body, either a PET CT or a CT scan that would, that would image from the neck or skull base down to the thighs um, in order to know exactly where the disease is located so that later we can accurately uh, assess the response to treatment. The majority ha of patients have what is called advanced stage disease, which is stage three or, and three or four, and that usually means it's on both sides of the diaphragm. The diaphragm is what separates the, the lungs from the abdomen. Uh, but it, it remains curable despite this because it responds so well to chemotherapy. So often my patients will ask me about the stage, and while it is something that we keep in mind and, and, and certainly want to know, um, it's not as relevant as it is in some other types of cancers uh, because it is curable despite whatever stage it is. Now, I did want to mention um, that it has been very important for us to continue the planned therapy or initiate new therapy um, during the COVID-19 pandemic for this disease. Now, this is in contrast to some other types of lymphoma that I treat, in which we could sometimes delay treatment during this time period. Some of those diseases are, um, are ones that people may live with for many, many years and are not curable, and sometimes we have the option of delaying treatment. But because this is a um, curable disease, we have worked uh, closely with our patients to um, be able to deliver the chemotherapy safely during the COVID-19 pandemic. And now that the vaccine is available in many places, I know not everyone has been able to get it, but um, when it is available for, for our patients, we do encourage them to receive it prior to starting treatment given the increased risk of infection that can occur with the treatment. The standard treatment for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is called R-CHOP, and each of those letters stands for a different drug. And this is a very tried and true regimen, which has been known to work well for many years. It is a combination of an immunotherapy drug called rituximab, which binds directly to a protein on the surface of the lymphoma cells called CD20. And then the, the remainder of the, the drugs are three chemotherapy drugs, cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, and vincristine, as well as a steroid called prednisone, which is given for five days of each cycle. And each, so the treatment will, is given with, as a, um, uh, except for the steroid portion, the rest of the treatment is all given on one day, and then the steroids will be continued for the subsequent four days. And that treatment is given every three weeks uh, for a total of six treatments, typically. Um, I do want to mention that some patients may be recommended a very similar regimen called dose-adjusted EPOC-R, which has all of the same drugs, but also adds a, another drug, which is called etoposide. And this is called infusional chemotherapy. It is given continuously over four to five days. Um, and it's sometimes given in the hospital setting and sometimes could be given in the outpatient setting with patients returning every day or two um, for changes in their um, chemotherapy bags. Um, so I did want to mention that as, an, as a tr possible treatment in certain circumstances, but the majority of patients do get the RCHOP treatment that I mentioned. 
In the past few years, there have been many exciting developments in research for diffuse B cell lymphoma, and Dr. Diefenbach will be talking right after me about these in more detail. Uh, but this has been an extremely exciting time um, for me and my colleagues and for, um, for our patients that we have so many new options for treatments compared to what we even had about five years ago. Um, so the standard of care remains to give a second type of chemotherapy for resistant disease. So that is um, for a minority of patients who have the disease come back after the first-line therapy of RCHOP. Um, or similar drugs, we would give a second type of chemotherapy that's um, combined with rituximab, and that would typically be followed by a curative strategy called autologous stem cell transplant. And this is a, not a surgery, um, but is a way to give higher doses of chemotherapy with the goal of getting rid of the disease forever. So I just want to summarize before I move on the standard of care for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma would be six cycles of the RCHOP treatment and in some cases our EPOC treatment. And I do want to just mention a couple other practical points that we typically do a, another imaging test somewhere between two and four cycles of after treatment, so in the middle of the treatment course, to make sure the treatment is working. And then again at the end of treatment, usually on the order of about six weeks after the treatment is continued, and then we follow patients very closely after that. Um, now, I just mentioned that if patients have the disease come back after that, um, there is another curative strategy, which is a second type of chemotherapy with rituximab, that targeted therapy towards the um, protein called CD20 on the surface of the lymphoma cells, followed by an autologous stem cell transplant. I wanted to just briefly mention a couple of the new uh, therapies that are um, now available um, and Dr. Diefenbach will be going into much more detail about this. But I do want to mention that one of the most exciting new therapies is called CAR T-cells, or chimeric antigen receptor T-cells. And this is an immunotherapy approach that's aimed at helping the immune system to better fight the lymphoma. And this is now FDA-approved as a third type of treatment for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And um, there's actually even another um, uh, investigational-type treatment that works on the immune system in a similar way that's called bispecific antibodies. Um, so as you can um, hear from me, there are so many new approaches that are, that are here and that are coming down the line, which is, provides so much hope for us, for our, for our patients. Um, there have actually been four new drugs approved in the U.S. in the past couple of years, for patients who have received the therapies that I've mentioned or who were not candidates for them for various reasons. And um, uh, actually, even just two to three weeks ago, there was a, a fourth agent that was uh, FDA approved here in the U.S., and hopefully these drugs will be available in, in um, the other countries that I know there are, there are people here from, from all different um, places. So um, these, are, these are now available here in the U.S., um, and what I want, I wanted to make the distinction that the chemotherapy drugs I've been talking about, the RCHOP, our EPOC, and the stem cell transplant approach, typically for most of those agents are, are what's called chemotherapy, um, which kills cells that are dividing, um, but is not specific just for cancer cells. And the, um, the push now and, and, and these new drugs that we have available now um, are what's called targeted therapies. And as opposed to chemotherapy, which kills dividing cells, but not specifically cancer cells, these new therapies bind to a particular part of the lymphoma cells and help to directly kill them. And so I'm actually going to stop now because I know Dr. Diefenbach has prepared um, a discussion on these new drugs, and I think you all are going to be very excited to hear about uh, all the different options we have now that are considered targeted therapies. Thank you for your attention. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Rutherford. That was a really outstanding presentation and also really set the stage for the entire um, program today. So I thank you, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Catherine Diefenbach, and Dr. Diefenbach is... Associate Professor of Medicine, uh, Translational Director of Hematology, Director Clinical Lymphoma, Perlmutter Cancer Center, and NCI-designated Comprehensive Cancer Center, NYU Langone Health. And Dr. Diefenbach will be addressing new and emerging treatment approaches, updates on clinical trials, how research contributes to treatment options, and the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments.
It's a, a great pleasure for me to introduce uh, uh, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Diefenbach. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me to talk to all of you guys today, and thank you, Dr. Rutherford, for that uh, terrific talk. So I will be speaking to you today about um, uh, relapsed DLBCL and uh, basically um, new drugs and new and emerging treatment approaches, and I'll also talk a bit about how most of these drugs which were developed for relapse disease can make their way into the front line as well. And this is very exciting for DLBCL because we really haven't had a change in the standard of care uh, for quite a long time. So let me start actually with, uh, with uh, how we treat diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and what we try to do with new, new drugs and new approaches. I'll then take us back into the relapse space and talk about a lot of these new drugs. Then I'll bring us forward again into how they can integrate into earlier lines of treatment. And finally, I'll talk about telehealth and telemedicine in the last couple of minutes um, and how this relates to clinical trials and why clinical trials are important. So as I think Dr. Rutherford outlined for you, uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is a curable disease potentially, and patients receive standard chemotherapy, six cycles of a chemotherapy called rituximab and CHOP. The addition of rituximab to CHOP um, improved outcomes for all DLBCL patients, but this happened more than 20 years ago. And since that time, people have been trying to improve on our CHOP chemotherapy without success. So uh, a large phase three trial looked at the regimen that Dr. Rutherford described, our EPOC, this infusional chemotherapy, and compared it to our CHOP. However, no improvement in overall survival was seen when this more intensive chemotherapy regimen, our EPOC, was compared to our CHOP. There are still some circumstances for which our EPOC is appropriate, but almost all DLBCL patients will receive our CHOP rather than our EPOC. There is uh, subsequently a targeted therapy drug called ibrutinib, which is um, a drug that blocks B-cell receptor signaling, and remember that diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is a malignancy of B-cells, therefore blocking B-cell receptor signaling is a targeted approach to basically cut the lymphoma off at its knees by disrupting its, one of its most pivotal signaling pathways. So this drug, ibrutinib, which is a targeted therapy, was effective for subsets of relapsed diffuse large B-cell lymphoma patients. And so ibrutinib was added to RCHOP chemotherapy to evaluate whether it improved upon RCHOP chemotherapy. And this strategy did not show an improvement for all the patients who were treated with ibrutinib RCHOP. Similarly, a drug called lenalidomide, which is an immune modulating agent, which again um, has a role in the relapse space, and we'll talk about that in a second, was added to RCHOP for a combination called R-squared CHOP. And what was very interesting, we look at clinical trials, we have three stepwise approaches in clinical trials. In phase one, we look to see that the drug is safe in the intended population. In phase two, we want to get a preliminary efficacy signal. So make sure that the drug is not only safe, but it works. Often we can see this in phase one, or there are hybrid trials that are a combination of phase one and phase two. Um, some phase twos can be randomized phase twos, and these are closer to the final kind of trial, which usually leads to drug approval, which is called a randomized phase three. Well, the Revlimid RCHOP or lenalidomide RCHOP, this R-squared CHOP, had a positive trial in phase two, but a negative trial in phase three, probably due to differences in the patient population and the dosing schedule. So this remains, um, there remains no new or uh, targeted therapy that has been added to frontline therapy. I'll get back to that at the end because there is one trial of an exciting new therapy that's ongoing that may actually change uh, the standard of care. So most of the uh, novel therapies I'm going to talk to you about are, have been explored and tested in the relapse setting because so many patients can be cured with either upfront RCHOP or um, second line ICE chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant, as Dr. Rutherford outlined. So the most exciting new treatment to, to emerge for the treatment of relapsed diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is something called chimeric antigen receptor T-cells. And what this is, is an engineered way 
to train your body's own immune system, your body's T cells, to recognize and fight the tumor antigens that are on your lymphoma cell. So, you know, I and many others knew that lymphoma is an immunologically, is an immunologic malignancy. It's, it's a malignancy of immune cells. But most of the immune strategies from solid tumors don't work in diffuse large B cell lymphoma. And the checkpoint inhibitors, which work so well in Hodgkin lymphoma, also don't work very well in diffuse large B cell lymphoma. So this was a very exciting new strategy of basically training the body's own immune system to recognize tumor cells. And what was particularly uh, unique about this is that you can take diffuse large B cell lymphoma patients who don't respond to chemotherapy and who have active disease, and they can be cured with CAR T cell therapy. That is in contrast to autologous stem cell transplant, where really the patients who benefit the most are those who have a complete remission prior to transplant. It doesn't appear that you need to have a complete remission before you go for CAR T cell to benefit from CAR T cell. So these are, this is really, and we now have three approved CAR T cell products for diffuse large B cell lymphoma, all of which are slightly different. The main toxicities of CAR T cells and why they need to be given in a hospital have to do with waking up the immune system too much. And the two, target, the two toxicities that are most concerning are a toxicity, called, um, a toxicity called CRS, which has to do with uh, basically activating the immune system so much that you get fevers and low blood pressure as if you had an infection. And this can be treated with supportive care and medicine to calm the immune system down, but you need to be cared for in the hospital because if you're not in the hospital, this can become very serious. And the second toxicity which can be seen is neurologic toxicity. Often this can be as simple as a headache, but it can become more complicated and involve confusion and delirium, uh, again, so that, so that this needs to be, these drugs need to be given carefully in a hospital setting. The good news is that unlike uh, treatments which are infinite, you get CAR T cells once and then if you're cured, you're cured. Um, so this is, this is very exciting. Other uh, new drugs to be approved include a class of drugs called antibody drug conjugates or ADCs. These are drugs in which um, a uh, chemotherapy, uh, chemotherapy is connected to an antibody and the antibody is not the primary mode of, um, of, of is not the primary mechanism. So this is not an immune uh, treatment, really. It's a way to use the immune system to target drug delivery. And so if, so if you will, the, um, it's really the, the antibody is a Trojan horse. It will connect to the tumor cell and then unload the chemotherapy into the tumor cell. And it's a way of targeting the lymphoma much more directly. So we have now two approved antibody drug conjugates for diffuse large B cell lymphoma, one very recently, and one um, called polituzumab bedotin, which is an antibody drug conjugate to CD79, which is an antigen that's expressed commonly on diffuse large B cell lymphoma, and that's um, in combination with bendamustine. Uh, other, um, other uh, and we'll, we'll get back to polituzumab at the end, other um, exciting uh, classes of drugs include a monoclonal antibody to CD19. Now, this is rather unusual because uh, CD19 is um, CD19 is a ubiquitous target. It's actually what's used for the CAR T cells as well. But most of the time, except for rituxan, naked antibodies have not been very effective. However, this uh, CD19 uh, uh, agent um, uh, has a high activity in combination with lenalidomide for patients with relapsed uh, diffuse large B cell lymphoma and can be given um, without really significant toxicity for long periods of time, even for patients who aren't transplant candidates. Other, um, other drugs that have recently been approved include, uh, include um, targeted therapies such as Selinexor, which are oral therapies and work to uh, shut off pathways that are necessary for cancer cell survival and growth. And then there are other novel therapies that have been approved for longer, such as lenalidomide, which can combine uh, with rituximab, be given alone, or be given in combination with other agents, as well as second and third line chemotherapy regimens. 
I think what's really important, and then we have other uh, drugs that are on the horizon that are not yet approved, which are extremely exciting, and these are the bispecific antibodies. And the way these work is they're an immune therapy, but they're not as heavy-handed as the CAR T-cell. They have two arms, or in the case of one of them that's in development, five arms. One arm grabs a tumor cell, one arm grabs a, a tumor cell, the other arm grabs the T-cell and says, T-cell, here's your tumor cell, eat it up. And the T-cell not only should eat the tumor cell, it should tell all its friends to eat more tumor cells, and this should generate an immune response. The toxicities of the bispecific antibodies are generally higher than that of the monoclonal antibodies in terms of immune reactivity, but much lower than that of CAR T-cells. So either to get either as single agents or in combination with other therapies, they are a very promising advance for the management of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Now, it is obviously an extremely exciting time to, to um, be able to treat diffuse large B-cell lymphoma because we have so many treatment options. How do you decide which drugs are right for which patients? So the first thing I want to really outline is that all of these new drugs were developed through patients participating in clinical trials. So if you have diffuse large B-cell lymphoma that's relapsed uh, more than once, or even if it's relapsed uh, once, and you're on your way to transplant, and you have the option of participating in a biologically relevant, exciting clinical trial, this is a way to get these exciting drugs earlier than FDA approval. And this is how most of these drugs were developed. If you are getting drugs off therapy with the myriad of drugs that have now been developed, your lymphoma physician will sit down with you and discuss side effect profiles, um, your own health, um, in, uh, w what your, um, how close you live to the center, whether you want an oral therapy or an IV therapy, and all of these things really go into the decision of which of these therapies is right for you. There are many of these therapies that are not approved yet but are in, um, in uh, phase two and phase three clinical trials. And there are many new combinations that are uh, early in development. So this is really an exciting uh, horizon for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. With regards to telehealth and telemedicine, this has been really wonderful for patients during the pandemic uh, to be able to stay connected, particularly for patients who are not requiring infusional therapy. So if I have patients who are on oral therapy and they can go and get their labs locally and I can see them and know they're doing okay, Instead of needing to come in once a month, if I had labs, patients could come in once every three or four months. Uh, similarly, um, um, for patients who needed routine follow-up in the pandemic, uh, telehealth was able to, uh, to minimize the number of visits that they needed as well. I don't think telehealth can substitute for, uh, for a doctor visit over the long term and completely take away the need because physical examination is an important part of, um, of a visit. However, for patients who are frail, for patients who live great distances, for patients who are on oral therapy, um, I think this is a huge advance. I've integrated this into my practice now, and I would say about 10% of my practice uh, is telehealth now that the pandemic is winding down. But for these patients, it is a uh, hugely um, appreciated uh, new option. So I'm going to uh, stop here. Hopefully, I haven't run over time and turn things over now to Dr. Diaz. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Diefenbach. That was a wonderful presentation, just outstanding. And I know there were questions for you during the Q&A as well, so thank you. Thank you so much. A lot of great content and information. And our next speaker is Dr. Adolfo Enrique Diaz. And Dr. Diaz is Assistant Professor, Department of Medicine, Division of Hematology Oncology, Mays Cancer Center, UT Health San Antonio, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Diaz will be addressing guidelines to manage potential symptoms, side effects, discomfort, and pain of, of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and its treatments, a follow-up care, what to expect, and a roadmap to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology and list of questions. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Diaz. Thank you, Caroline. And uh, I also wanted to thank you, all the organizers, to put all the uh, pieces of the conference uh, together. A, um, so I have uh, uh, three topics here to cover, so I'll go ahead and get started with uh, giving some uh, guidelines to manage those potential symptoms, side effects, and discomfort of uh, DLBCL and its treatments. 
Um, let's get started with uh, disease-related symptoms, some of them. You know, uh, so, so number one I have listed here, swollen lymph nodes. And so, uh, you know, the, the patient basically should ask the medical team about how to check the lymph nodes. Um, you should try to become familiar with what's normal for you. Um, on the same hand, you uh, should try not to overcheck your notes as this can lead to, uh, you know, unnecessary worry. Uh, you should stick to checking around at least once a month. Uh, however, if you notice any new or bigger lumps that last more than a week, you should contact your medical team. Um, then I have here uh, sweats. So uh, what to do with those? Uh, uh, this is kind of like a, a more pragmatic in nature. So during the day, uh, I usually advise the patients to wear clothes that are made of natural fabrics, uh, you know, such as a uh, cotton, and uh, you know, those those tend to keep you uh, cooler. Also, uh, wear light layers of clothes so you can easily remove a layer if you need to. You should avoid uh, spicy foods and caffeine, uh, and of course drink plenty of uh, cold fluids to replace those lost through sweating. At night time, uh, basically try to keep your bedroom uh, cool, use a fan, adjust your thermostat, or open your window. Um, then I have here uh, symptoms like coughing and breathing difficulties. So if you happen to have swollen lymph nodes in your chest, you might experience a cough or difficulties breathing. Uh, those symptoms can include dry cough, shortness of breath, noisy breathing, or uh, a feeling of a feeling of, of pressure in the chest. Um, those symptoms usually go away once you start treatment. However, you should uh, seek medical advice if you become extremely short of breath, uh, you start coughing up thick yellow or green phlegm, uh, have a cough that gets uh, worse or, or is painful, um, or if you happen to have a fever. These could be signs that you have uh, developed an, an infection and uh, need um, antibiotics. Now, as far as side effects of uh, treatment, uh, we usually see fatigue um, when it comes uh, to uh, chemo uh, plus or minus immunotherapy. Uh, this is often called cancer-related fatigue. It can make things uh, really difficult on a daily basis, and it can, it can also affect cognitive processes uh, such as memory and attention. Um, this fatigue usually gets better gradually after you finish treatment, but it can last several months or sometimes longer. So what I have found a uh, good to recommend uh, to, to my own patients is uh, just to keep a fatigue diary. So a fatigue diary keeps track of, of uh, the patient's activity levels each day so the patient can look for any effect on energy and notice patterns. So this might help to spot any trigger to the fatigue and make it easier to plan activities and rest. Um, you should take regular light physical activity, such as walking, and allow time to rest afterwards. Um, for many people with fatigue, I've seen that exercise can be the most effective strategy for uh, reducing fatigue. Um, we also see uh, nausea and vomiting. So nausea or vomiting are, are common side effects of, of many treatments of lymphoma, and uh, they can be worse. If, uh, if the patient is stressed and, and anxious. So you should tell your medical uh, team if you, if you feel sick. You know, there are a lot of uh, anti-sickness medications called uh, anti-emetics, uh, which uh, can be prescribed. Those are usually uh, more effective uh, if, uh, if you start them early. Uh, it's also important to drink plenty of fluids, particularly if you vomit. Uh, try to drink throughout the day, but uh, um, avoid drinking too much just before mealtime so you don't feel yourself up. Um, we've uh, also seen uh, GI or, or bowel problems. 
Um, so we have on one hand diarrhea, on the other hand uh, constipation. So as far as diarrhea concerns, you know, it's it's important to replace the water you lose, so stay hydrated. Uh, choose plain water to drink. Avoid drinks uh, that might uh, uh, make the problem worse, such as uh, fruit juice, uh, very hot or, or very cold drinks, alcohol, and milk. Um, avoid food that uh, could worsen uh, symptoms. That usually includes fatty, greasy, uh, spicy foods, and dairy products. A, um, medications for diarrhea can also be prescribed by your physician. Um, and then as far as constipation, uh, we usually advise the patients to drink plenty of fluids, including those fruit juices, uh, uh, orange, apple, prune, uh, and uh, raspberry juices are fine. Um, try to avoid alcohol. Um, you should increase the amount of fiber you eat, uh, for example, uh, oats or meal or uh, dried fruit and veg um, vegetables. Um, hair loss is another uh, typical symptom. Although it's usually temporary, it can be very distressing and can affect the patient's self-identity, esteem, and confidence. So whether or not to cover the hair loss is a very personal decision, but if you choose to, there are options. So if you are likely to lose your hair, you might want to prepare yourself by cutting it, cut it uh, short before your uh, treatment starts. Uh, if you have beard or, or, or mustache, you might choose to shave this. Um, you can also uh, use a wig made from artificial or uh, real hair or a combination of, of both. Uh, and uh, then uh, we commonly see something called neutropenia. So neutropenia means having a low number of neutrophils, which is a type of white blood cell. Uh, neutrophils help your body to fight infections. Uh, if you have neutropenia, you have a higher risk of an infection than usual. Uh, your medical team might prescribe antibiotics or antiviral medicines to reduce their risk. Um, and if you have neutropenia and uh, you develop an infection, this can be very serious and it usually means that you'll need uh, an urgent treatment, usually in the hospital. So you should contact your medical team immediately if you happen to have signs of infection uh, which includes uh, fever, chills, uh, sweating, uh, feeling generally unwell, confused, uh, or disoriented. Um, to reduce the risk of infection, we usually recommend to keep good hygiene and stay away from people with uh, infections, such as colds and, and flu, and um, usually avoid public places at busy times where infections can be easily uh, spread. Um, we also see thrombocytopenia. Thrombocytopenia means having fewer platelets than uh, you should have. Platelets are fragments of blood cells that help your blood cluster. Uh, thrombocytopenia can increase your risk of, or, of bruising and bleeding, so we usually recommend to avoid high impact and contact sports. Uh, to avoid also blowing your nose hard and to wear protective gloves if you are gardening, for instance. Um, and then lastly, uh, we see uh, anemia, which means low red cell counts. Typical symptoms of anemia include a, um, feeling fatigue, feeling short of breath when doing things, feeling uh, dizzy or, or faint. This is temporary. Uh, we uh, physicians elect to closely uh, monitor those and only indicate transfusions uh, if um, the patient happens to cross the threshold for a, for a critical uh, value. Um, then moving on, I would like to uh, talk really uh, brief about uh, follow-up care and what to expect. So I have divided this on uh, follow-up during and follow-up after. So the follow-up during treatment, basically it's, it's an exercise of analyzing pieces of information. 
those four basic pieces that we always take a look at are uh, the assessment of symptoms and toxicities, the physical exam, the analysis of uh, laboratories for blood work, and uh, then the imaging. And, and based on uh, based on the uh, integration of those pieces, just like putting all the pieces of a puzzle together, we make a call on, on what to do next. So this is the expectation during a, a follow-up visit. Now, the follow-up after, it's, it's kind of like a, a little bit more complex at the very beginning, and then it gets easier as time passes by. So uh, at the very beginning, you should be given a written treatment summary explaining what treatment you, you had, uh, any long-term effects uh, it might have, what symptoms of relapse or late effects to look out for after treatment, and who to contact if you notice them. Um, frequency of follow-up appointments usually depends on the treatment you've had, the response to treatment, the usual practice in your particular hospital or, or treatment center. And, and rule of thumb, you know, every, everyone's situation is different, but in general, you, you will be seen every three months when your treatment first ends, and then there's a slow transition to every six months and then annual visits. Um, and uh, lastly, uh, I have uh, seven tips here as a kind of like a roadmap to prepare uh, for a telehealth or telemedicine appointment. So number one, try, uh, try to find a quiet spot for your telehealth uh, appointment. Number two, have your device, whether uh, you know is a smartphone, a tablet, uh, a laptop, uh, try to set up uh, any of those devices uh, and, and get them uh, ready for the visit. Uh, number three, get your information ready. Uh, I mean, list of medications, uh, the uh, uh, name and address of the pharmacy, ID card, credit card if you if you need to uh, uh, pay for uh, for the visit. Uh, write down your symptoms. Write down your questions. Take notes during the call. And then lastly, ask about the about the plan of care, uh, which is you know what kind of treatment you expect to have, how often you're gonna have that treatment, for how long you're gonna have that treatment. Uh, you should ask whether this treatment is gonna happen as inpatient or outpatient, and then uh, the follow up. Uh, you know how often are you expected to to be seen during and and after treatment. And uh, with that, I will conclude. Uh, I think I uh, went over time, and that's uh, what I had to share. Oh, thank, thank you so much, Dr. Diaz. <clears throat> that was actually excellent and outstanding and the wonderful comprehensive um, uh, presentation. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well, so thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Melita Cohen, and she is the president of the Lymphoma Foundation of America, and she also is of the partner organization on today's program and probably going forward on many of our lymphoma programs. And she'll be discussing the Lymphoma Foundation of America's free programs and services. And it's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Cowan. Thank you, Carolyn, for inviting me. Lymphoma Foundation of America is delighted to partner with Cancer Care. We are a national nonprofit organization and our mission is to help lymphoma patients recover from cancer. And as you say, all of our programs and services are free. We have registered nurses who are counselors, and they are available to you on a one-on-one -on -one basis. They will listen to you, answer your questions, and provide helpful information. Our foundation also has a lymphoma specialist list of comprehensive cancer centers and doctors throughout the United States. These comprehensive cancer centers are designated by the National Cancer Institute. So if you need a consultation or a second opinion or want to find a clinical trial, our list is an excellent resource and it's on our website. This past year has been difficult for so many cancer patients because of COVID. 
Financial worries and access to needed medical care are big concerns. Lymphoma Foundation of America has a list of cancer charities that give financial aid to patients. So please contact us for the list. And if you are having problems with your employment or health insurance because you are a cancer patient, we partner with nonprofit organizations that can provide you with free legal advice and your rights under the Americans with Disability Act. Lymphoma Foundation of America also funds research through grants and awards to lymphoma scientists and investigators who are working to find a cure. These are the highlights. We do much more and have many more programs and services. So please feel free to call us send us an email, go to our website, visit our Facebook page. All of us at the Foundation are here to help you. And thanks so much, Carolyn. Uh, well, thank you very much, um, uh, Ms. Uh, Cowan, because I think that um, knowing that your organization is there for our participants, what a great resource. And I want to say that at the end of the program, you'll all be getting a Survey Monkey, and it will include all of the resources we mentioned during the program with their phone numbers, their websites, so anything that any of the speakers mentioned, and particularly about the Lymphoma um, Foundation of America, we will definitely have you have that information, so it'll be a kind of go-to organization for many of you on the call. And um, I just want to say a few words about Cancer Care. So, cancer, I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education at Cancer Care. And I, um, our programs are actually, they're national, much like the, um, uh, um, Ms. Cowan's programs. They're national and scope, and they're free. Um, our programs, so our services are for all, all people living with cancer, um, all ages, um, and um, both people living with cancer themselves, caregivers, partners, family members. So we have services for a large spectrum of people affected in all ages. The services, what are they? What do we offer for free? So we do have a phone number that you can call a hope line. It's an 800 number. And that number, um, uh, that number is, they're all staffed by oncology social workers. And um, they will uh, identify your, uh, talk with you about your questions, offer you support. In addition, we do offer practical, financial, and co-payment assistance, as well as COVID funding for people who may need, who may have cancer and COVID as well. Um, so that's those are very important at this time. Um, they always have been, but they're particularly important now for many people. And um, we also uh, offer online support groups. We offer these type of programs, uh, these work workshops on the telephone or online. You can listen to them. They're simultaneously on the telephone or online. Um, we offer about 75 of them on different topics um, um, and on different uh, types of cancers and also different um, issues in terms of cancer in the workplace or coping with the discomforts of cancer. So many different topics that we offer. And in addition to that, we have many publications. So quickly, that's really our services that we offer. And um, now, before we um, move to the Q&A, I have just a few questions I'd like to ask you at the end of the program, again, to get a sense of um, what you understand. So I'm going to actually um, move on to the questions. Again, they'll take about two minutes, and then we'll go right to the Q&A. So our first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of the current standard of care for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident about my knowledge of the treatment options for resistant disease and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident in my knowledge of working with my healthcare team to use their tips and recommendations to manage the side effects and discomfort of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Now, just two questions left. Uh, the next question, 
is as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of emerging treatment approaches for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And the last question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in participating in clinical trials for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank everyone for participating in these questions. It really helps us moving forward to plan programs that better meet your needs. So nothing like your feedback to help us to do that um, most efficiently and most helpfully to all of you. And now we're going to take questions from um, all of you to all of our speakers. I'm going to bring all of our speakers on board. I'm going to ask Michelle to do that, actually. And then we're going to start with your questions, um, of which there are many right now online. But Michelle will explain to you how to queue up for online questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Okay, we have a question um, for Dr. Rutherford to start. Um, I had both a dose of the Moderna vaccines. The first one was five months from my last RCHOP treatment. I had an antibody test last week, and it was negative. Is the right thing to get two new doses of a bo or a booster? If so, when is the right time? How do I know when my immune system has recovered? All of my labs are normal. If you could address this in a general way, Dr. Rutherford, I think these are questions that people ask. Each person has a different variant of this question, but nevertheless, it's a question yeah. that people have. Yes, thank you so much for this question. I am getting the same one, um, but from my patients every day. So this is a very common question right now. And I want to tell you um, to the person who asked that um, it's very common that people were, were finding that our patients who have undergone treatment, and uh, frankly, even some of our patients who haven't undergone treatment um, for other lymphoma types have not mounted an adequate response to the vaccine. And so um, we're, gonna, we're, we're with you on this, and I think the whole group of researchers for lymphoma and cancer in general are working to figure out the best strategy, and I don't think we know the exact answer to your question right now, um, but I do think that we'll have um, a better uh, knowledge of this in the coming months. I think this is evolving very quickly. So at this point, I don't think there's enough evidence to suggest to do a booster. Um, we usually say typically that the immune system you know, can take up six months to a year to, you know, to recover after our CHOP-related treatment, and even longer than that in some cases. So, you know, I think um, what I would suggest doing is just being very cautious in the same way that I'm sure you were doing while um, you were undergoing the treatment in the, in the subsequent months to, um, you know, to wear the masks, be um, very cautious about being around um, other people, who, certainly those who are sick. You know, I think if you have um, friends and family who are vaccinated, um, it's okay to take off your mask around them, but I would just be very cautious with wearing masks around um, any other groups of people and also to try to really limit contact with large groups at this point. And, um, and just stay tuned. Talk to your doctors regularly. We're finding out new information. A lot of us are doing research on this exact topic, so I think we're going to know more in the coming months and we'll be able to, to help you decide if the booster-type um, approach to a vaccine would be appropriate. Um, but, you know, I do have confidence that, that we'll all get through this, and, and uh, we do have, um, you know, some very good treatment options for patients who do get the COVID vaccine, uh, do get the COVID infection. For, for example, we have um, the, the, um, the antibody treatments that have been given, um, uh, you know, have, have worked very well for some of my patients who've actually gotten COVID um, infections while they were on chemotherapy or subsequent. So, um, again, stay tuned. I know it's a, it's a tough question to answer, but, but we're all in this together, and, and we'll get through it together as well. Excellent. And um, I've got a similar question, but different for um, Dr. Dietenbach. I'm interested in um, any research connecting the diagnosis of B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma after contacting COVID-19. So let me just speak a little bit to the earlier question and then I'll speak to this one. So it's really quite well known that patients who have been treated with uh, anti-CD20 antibody therapy do not always mount a good response to vaccination. And this was shown for flu and for uh, pneumococcal vaccination up to about a year after rituximab 
chemo seems to have less of an effect, and it also seems to, uh, we looked at this in our um, patients also who um, had basically been treated within six months who got the COVID vaccine, and it does appear that patients who've had rituxan or BTK inhibitors or who just have disease who are living with um, indolent lymphoma really um, don't seem to mount a good immune response to vaccination. However, I want to stress that the B cell arm, and that's all that this measures, all the antibodies measure is the B cell part of the immune system. It doesn't measure the other part of the immune system, which is really important, which is the T cell part of the immune system. And the comforting data is that in the studies that looked at vaccination, not COVID vaccination, but other vaccinations, even though the B cells don't work well, the T cells seem to be working fine. So I think we know because lymphoma patients are surviving COVID that their T cells are working much better than their B cells. And so while I don't think that this is reassuring enough to not uh, practice uh, very uh, you know, rigid social distancing measures as Dr. Rutherford outlined, um, uh, I, you know, I do think that immunity is more complicated than just an antibody response to uh, to um, COVID, and that um, that um, it's not just whether you have an antibody; it's how high your titer is, and then probably what your T cells are doing. In terms of how to sequence therapy with vaccination and whether um, patients need boosters, I think that those are really important questions that we and others are are studying and hopefully we'll have answers soon. But as Dr. Rutherford said, if you're lacking B cells, um, it's, the therapies that have been developed are perfect because what these monoclonal antibodies are are B cells off the shelf that are basically doing the job that your B cells are not doing. And that's why getting, if you do contract COVID, getting um, to a doctor within the first 48 hours is really important so you can get this, um, these uh, monoclonal antibodies that are basically B cells off the shelf to do what your body isn't able to do. The question about um, whether uh, people are getting lymphoma as a function of COVID, I have not seen data that COVID causes lymphoma, but what COVID does cause is swelling of the lymph nodes. And this has been extremely alarming. I'm sorry, COVID, not only COVID, but vaccination to COVID. And that is extremely alarming for uh, patients who are lymphoma survivors or who are on treatment. And I have seen patients who have scans that look like they've had progression and then ask them, oh, what was going on? Oh, I had my vaccine or, oh, this was when I came down with COVID and you scan them two months later and everything is gone. So while I will say, and, and this is true for patients with solid tumors too, if they have lymph nodes pop up and the lymph nodes are not usually due to disease, but due to COVID. So while I will say that I have seen uh, no suggestion that uh, the vaccine or COVID causes lymphoma, I have seen um, clear evidence, and I think everyone on this call would agree, that it can cause swelling of the lymph nodes that are benign but can be mistaken for disease progression or new disease. Excellent. Thank you. Very helpful. Thank you so much. Um, and then a question for Dr. Diaz. How is my preference or how is my overall health taken into account when deciding on treatment? So really overall health and um, what treatment course to take. I'm sorry, Caroline. Uh, oh, so the question is, um, how is um, my overall health taken into account when deciding on treatment? Okay. Yeah. That's that's a, a a really good question. Uh, not just because there's not only one treatment available, and uh, you know, uh, different patients coming with with different performance uh, status. So there are uh, calculators and tables that we use. Uh, we look at different variables. Uh, one of those being age, uh, but not just that but something called organ function. So we basically look at uh, the status of uh, the liver function, kidney function, a, uh, a, a comorbidities, meaning whether there are other diseases, you know, such as uh, diabetes, coronary artery disease, history of strokes. Uh, and with that, we can have a better understanding of the whole, a, um, a, a picture of the patient when he or she comes for treatment, and then we decide on whether the patient would be eligible for what we call intensive treatment or something called non-intensive. Uh, 
Um, yep. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, I'll take just one more question. Um, well, this is for Dr. Deepak. How do I choose between emerging treatment approaches? I think this is really an excellent question. I think um, there are really two categories. There are experimental emerging treatment approaches, and this is something that really depends on availability and your eligibility to participate in research trials, and this is um, really a moving target. It's changing all the time. So it's something you need to talk to your doctor about. With regard to all the newly approved therapies, there are really a myriad of options to choose from. So. That is, I think, why it's important to be taken care of by a lymphoma specialist who only does this and really is familiar with all of these drugs as opposed to someone who maybe sees three lymphomas a year and might not be as well-versed in all of these options. And, you know, even though they're all approved, they're all very different. They have different side effect profiles, different uh, treatment schedules. Uh, they combine differently with other drugs. So I think you and your doctor will decide based on what, drug, what therapies you've had previously, what your overall health is, what um, your schedule preference is, uh, what side effect profile best fits who you are, and um, if you have more than one option, then really which drug sort of makes the best sense to you. Um, but this is something that's very much a collaborative discussion between you and your physician, and it's a wonderful um, time to be treating this disease to have so many good options for patients. Excellent. And it was one late-breaking question for Dr. Rutherford. Um, so um, the question for Dr. Rutherford, are there risks that can lead to disease being resistant, and what are they? Okay. That's a tough question to answer quickly at the end. Um, <laughs> but I would say, you know, what, what I would say, which I, I didn't really go over this um, before, um, but there there. Um, you know, we talked about, Dr. Diefenbach and I both um, talked about the RCHOP or REPOC regimens. So I would say the area, and this is actually a particular area of, of interest for me from a research standpoint, um, there are a couple of chromosome abnormalities that can be found um, in these um, lymphomas and in, in the tumor tissue, and that's um, a term that's called double hit lymphoma. Um, and I'm not going to go into the technical details, but basically that group is one um, that we do use at our epoch for um, in particular. And um, they, you know, the, the, the um, research, the, the much of it is retrospective, meaning looking at patients who've been treated with chemotherapies, suggests that those patients do better when they're treated with the our epoch, a more intense version of our CHOP, basically. Um, and so... That would be one, you know, that I always look for carefully when I first meet a new patient. And, um, you know, when we do have clinical trial options, we try to get the patients with that type of, of um, uh, chromosome abnormalities onto clinical trials. And I have to say, um, I do have a lot of patients who've done very well with our EPOC treatment. Um, one exciting combination um, that I've been involved in the um, research with has been a, a an inhibitor of, of a protein called BCL2, which um, is called venetoclax, and we hadn't mentioned that prior, um, but that is being combined with our EPOC and our CHOP in, in a clinical trial now, and, um, and there, there are a lot of other emerging um, clinical trials, for example, with CAR T cells or with the bispecific antibodies that we've mentioned um, early on with patients who um, may have these types of abnormalities in their chromosomes. So um, again, you know, I think um, that that having these these um, uh, pathology, um, uh, I, we haven't mentioned this specifically, but I think having pathology reviewed at an academic center, in particular, I know Dr. mentioned being a lymphoma specialist, having a lymphoma specialist and a pathologist from a, um, an academic institution review your case to make sure those types of abnormalities are identified, I think is really helpful for people um, to make sure we're really maximizing the best, um, you know, best therapeutic approach for them from the beginning of their course. Thank you. Great I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been just phenomenal. And I want to thank all of our participants also for really asking such great questions. And we could stay on for another hour, but we are um, going to be winding up. So I want to thank our speakers. And I, uh, I just want to, in concluding, just um, say that for those of you who had a chance to ask a question or for those of you who are um, 
who heard someone ask a question and now have a question, another question yourself, or have a question that you didn't get to ask, please go back to your treating healthcare team with the information that you've learned today and see how it all applies to you. I think that's been a very important uh, thing for you to be aware of in these programs. Um, um, uh, you know, it's very, very important. Um, and, um, you know, then the other thing is that um, I would not want anyone to leave this program today feeling that you're alone. We want you to know that you're now, um, you know, part of a community of support and that we're here to help you. And although it, during this time of COVID, it's very tempting for people to feel that they're alone, nevertheless, you have your healthcare team, you have many different organizations, the Lymphoma Foundation of America, Cancer Care, and so many other organizations. And when you get that Survey Monkey evaluation, we'll be listing all the other organizations that you can contact. Some of them actually have 24-hour-a-day call centers that you can actually utilize as well. So there's a lot of information out there that you can access. Um, and also for your healthcare team, um, please be sure that your healthcare team, that you ask your healthcare team um, who their contact information at night and on weekends, because that's when a lot of things happen, not just during business hours, but often at those other hours, um, during holidays, all kinds of things like that. Just check with them about that. So I, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen for participating. This concludes the workshop and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.